0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Martin studio. Today on the show, we are going to get some harvest updates from around the country. If you would like to call in or email us with your report, we'd love to have that. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'd be happy to take any of your questions or comments. And again, if you would like to let us know how harvest is going on your farm, that would be awesome. I'll just let you know on our farm. Well, first of all, we farm in southeast South Dakota and our our, our harvest has been a little bit delayed because of rain. Now, last fall we had the driest and longest fall in the history of our state. So, It was, I don't know if I would say fun, but I mean, it was great in that we got a lot of work done really quickly, never had a day that we had to stop. So I just remember when my dad was still alive, he's like, man, I I don't like it when we have harvest going straight through for like 40 days without a single break in there. He said, I like to have rain, you know, a couple times in there so I get a few days off or something. But anyway, this year we've, we've had a couple of those days off because we have had some rain during harvest. And so far yields have been really variable. And that's kind of the general theme, I would say, for our region of the United States where rains were very spotty and it made a lot of difference if you had light soil or heavy soil, made a lot of difference if you had lots of organic matter or little, great fertility or little. So there are a lot of things that play into this whole deal. So variability, I would say, is the number one theme for harvest this fall, at least in the region that we farm. In terms of our yields specifically, we had some hail damage and so... Yeah, I, I, I'm every year. I'm praying that we don't have hail, and we at least have decent weather leading up to our Ag PhD Field Day. That's always the last th- Thursday in July, and after that, it's like, well, whatever happens, happens. I guess I just wanted stuff to look good, and you know, for us to be able to show some things and for us to learn some things going into and out our field day. So, once you know it, of course, the week after the field day, we get pelted with hail right at the field day site. And I live about a mile from there on our home farm. And so the the crops right between my place and the the field day, I mean, there were a lot of beans on the ground. My brother, Darren, the day after took a look at some beans and he's like, I don't know if these are even going to make 20 or 30. Well, they made 40, so that was good. But believe it or not, the corn was far enough along, still is averaging... 230, 240. So that's amazing in this drought year that we've had and hail damage to have that kind of yield. So I'm super happy so far with our corn yields. And actually our bean yields have been pretty good outside this this relatively small area where we got hail. All right. So anyway, again, we're going to be talking about harvest during our show today. If you'd like to call in the numbers 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Okay, first one that I've got, and this is just a comment on something we had done recently on Ag PhD TV, talking about 2,4-D and spraying it safely around the farm. So anyway, I don't have a name on this, I apologize, but uh, this person just says, I can't understand how anyone who works with chemicals thinks they are a safe option ever. You have to be blind not to see the biological and environmental consequences. Uh, So my ex-neighbor, he or she says, sprays his property safely per label, and it destroyed my property, homestead, and family's health for shame. Chemical industry propaganda does not make it safe or funny ever. Uh, Look, when you you start talking about a lot of these products that you used on the farm today, they're way safer than what we used to deal with years ago. And there are many things that are actually natural. When you start talking about insecticides, the most popular one in the world, it's the pyrethroid family. They came from the chrysanthemum flower. We use a lot of HPPD chemistry like Callisto on our farm. That originally came from a tree. We spray Tordon in our pastures. We spray uh, a lot of fungicide around the farm. There a lot, of, a lot of the fungicides, like the strobes, came from wood-rotting fungi originally. I mean, there are a lot of things now that we're dealing with that are natural rather than chemical, as you refer to it. But nevertheless, the reason why we have the FDA and the EPA is for them to test things to find out are they safe or are they not if they are used according to the label. So I don't know you know, what it was that destroyed your property or your homestead or your family's health, but I know this. I live right on the farm. For most of my life, I've drank well water. The last thing that a farmer is going to want to do is pollute where they live and their water, and the food that they're going to eat. So I have great confidence that when products are used according to the label, they're quite safe. Now, on the other hand, I'm assuming that you probably use gasoline in your car every day. Go look up the label on that. That's way more dangerous, and just you even breathing in the fumes while you pump your gas And not wearing personal protective equipment while you pump your gas is way more dangerous than these herbicides that we use on the farm today. Also, look at the household cleaners you probably have right below your kitchen sink. And many of the things you put on and into your body... It's far more harmful than what we're dealing with on the farm today. At, at, when you refer to chemicals, so I'm not I'm not saying all chemicals are safe or anything like that, but I'm just saying the dose always makes the poison, and you gotta take a look at some of the more harmful things that you're pro- that you probably have in your life today that have nothing to do with herbicides, and uh, I, it's way more concerning to me that kind of stuff than these chemicals or uh, herbicides that we're spraying on the farm. All right, Uh, next one comes from Jeremy in central Minnesota. He says, I just finished my soybean harvest last week, and while I was out checking behind the combine, I found some of these mushrooms or spores on the ground, uh, and I'm wondering, is this white mold? Well, Jeremy, the pictures you sent, it does not look like white mold spores to me, or white mold mushrooms. Uh, It looks like a different type of mushroom. But honestly, I'd like to see mushrooms at this time of year, because then they're done they got to find a host, and if there's nothing growing out there, then they're going to be done forever. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. Uh, But if you want, you could certainly send some of these in for analysis. I really do not think those are white mold mushrooms, though, so you should be in pretty good shape. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk harvest right after this.
1: Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltema Fungicide Swift Activity with fast payback. An expanded application window (sighs) makes life simple. And it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltema Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltema Fungicide is not registered in all states.
2: Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com.
0: To Ag PhD Radio, I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today, we're just talking about harvest here. If you'd like to give us a harvest update from your farm, we'd love to have you call in. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Randy did. He is from out in Illinois. Randy, how are you today? Good. Yourself? Excellent. So how is harvest going on your farm?
1: Uh, We're just sort of half done with corn. Um, was hoping to start on beans this week but it looks like the weather has some other plans for us so
0: so getting some rain i assume then
1: yeah we got some rain over the weekend and some little misty stuff today and talk about some more rain on wednesday and whatnot so but we had we had kind of intentionally stayed on corn um knowing beans were way too dry and rain was coming.
0: <laughs> it's funny. We did the exact same thing, Randy. We had rain coming last week and we were trying to stand the wettest beans we could possibly find, but then we kind of ran out of that too. So yeah, I was happy to get a little rain. We re-wet things and now we're going and everything is fine again. So how's your corn turning out so far?
1: Uh, so we started with a bunch of, of corn that blew down about a month ago. Yep. I think they called it a downburst or something. I don't know. Yep. Our, our corn wasn't quite as flat on the ground as the neighbor's field was, but it was it was a long four hundred acres. Let's put it that way.
0: What so, was your What was yeah. your average harvest speed?
1: Probably like one point eight.
0: Yep. We had one year where we had to do a bunch of stuff and we averaged one. And so I I feel your pain. It's just no fun. I I mean, I actually love harvest most of the time because we're cruising along and, you know, we're using a grain cart and, oh, it's moving. And yeah, when you have to do something like that, it is no fun. So did you have much harvest loss then, or were you able to pick most of it up?
1: For the most part, we were picking up the majority of it. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, because it wasn't like it died due, f- I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of just dis- every disease is out there, um, but that wasn't what caused it to go down, and so, um, you know, I mean, the majority of the stock still had some green left to them, and yep. as long as you could get underneath it, it would stand them up and pull it through, and, yep. um, you know, so <clears throat> you just couldn't go real fast. It's, I know we, I know we were losing some um but it wasn't a disaster.
0: Were you able to go both directions or did you have to go one way on any of it? Uh there was some small parts uh we were going
1: one way but for the most part we were able to go both directions. So, so we so had uh we had a strip in this in this field where we didn't put fungicide on. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't very hard to pick that one out. Um, <laughs> both from a being flat and extra flat on the ground, and then the depressed yield. It, yeah, uh, yeah. My employee who ran the running the combine most of the time. He's like, I think we can stop checking fungicide now. <laughs> you know, we saw a twenty to forty bushel response last year, and this year is looking like a thirty to fifty. And <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. Well, I mean, be thankful that you only left a check strip as opposed right, to right. only having Absolutely. a strip of fungicide, then you'd be sad. Uh so right, the, right. So this first half of your corn that you've taken out so far yield pretty decent or, or how's that looking?
1: Yeah. So the down corn I would say it's probably at about APH.
0: Yeah. Um and
1: then we got done with that. Um, uh, moved about twenty miles back closer to our home farm and mm-hmm. Got into some better corn, and I mean it's it's not record, but it's probably twenty bushel over APH, I guess. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 doing well.
0: Yeah, and especially with the crop prices this year, I mean, at least you got to feel good about that, right? Exactly, exactly. All right, well, hey, uh, Randy, thanks for calling in today. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you as you finish up corn and get started on beans here soon. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. All right, let's go next down to the state of Kansas. Got Jeff calling in from there. Hey Jeff, how's harvest progressing on your farm?
4: Uh, it's doing pretty good. We are about halfway through our harvest. We've cut a little bit of milo really early. We got really hot and dry in August and so we had a few dry land acres that were ready before irrigated. Got a little bit of that knocked out. Then moved into soybeans and finished that. Now we're kind of in the middle of corn and then a bunch of milo at the end still left to go.
0: So you got a lot of stuff going on there. How did the beans turn out so far?
4: I think the beans did all right. I was hoping for a little bit better, but, uh, they were our area. We grows pretty good beans in that, um, 80, 90 bushel rain. I think we were all within that or maybe, uh, mid nineties on some of the better fields.
0: So I assume when you're talking those kind of yields, that's on your irrigated ground.
4: Yes, definitely. Yeah. It would be a zero under, not under <laughs> irrigation in our area.
0: <laughs> so, so your non-irrigated stuff, is that all Milo or, or do you have anything else non-irrigated?
4: We rotate wheat, uh, and okay. we do have a little bit of dry land corn. Of course, wheat's getting planted in this neighborhood now. So, but, uh, fall crops were mostly milo with a little bit of dryland corn.
0: Sure. So as you talk about that in your diverse rotation, you got milo, wheat, beans, corn. With the way fertilizer prices have gone up, are you considering any changes or are there any other reasons why you might change something going into next year for acres?
4: I don't know. I think you can overthink it and maybe tend to go with a crop that uh, would use a little less nitrogen or produce nitrogen like soybeans, but... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, You a lot of people may go that way, and then there be, may be a market need to have corn, so it <laughs> might be worth just staying with the corn. Yep. I suppose that we'll just stick with our normal rotation. We'll have some beans, uh, third beans, two-thirds corn, and really on our dryland acres, it has to be mostly milo on those acres just sure. to be able to guarantee a crop.
0: Sure, yep, yep. So your corn so far, you have taken some irrigated corn out?
4: Yes, they're in our neighborhood. Uh, I would say uh, we're over halfway done with the corn here, so made some pretty good progress there.
0: And yield pretty good?
4: I think we're above average year in our area just from the yields I've seen uh, on our farm and just hearing others.
0: Yeah, awesome. So what do you What do you spend your time doing in the fall? Then do you do some some of your own fertilization? Do you do much tillage? Do you leave it no-till? Uh, I mean, what 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 do you do then?
4: We have been actively planting cover crop right behind the oh. the uh, combine. Yep. Uh, we found that uh, we're we're seeing a lot healthier plant, greener plant behind uh, cover crop acres. We feel maybe it could be due to just keeping the soil cooler, that it's just delaying it enough, but it has caused a little bit of a yield bump. But we're definitely behind uh, soybeans. We are planting cover crop just because of the lack of residue. Uh, Corn, we're we're even going there. We've seen some benefit there. So that's been one thing that we've been busy doing as well as harvest. But uh, we also do a little bit of VT and we'll end up, strip tilling most of our acres uh hopefully by the end of the year and sometimes if we don't get it done by the end of the year then we're looking at february march time frame to finish up
0: <laughs> yeah uh you guys are a little further south than us we're so froze uh from uh, maybe the first of december till the uh, the end of march usually so we can't quite get as much done so uh, let me ask yeah. you real quick I, I got time for just one last thing i was curious about what, what sure. you do for a cover crop mix
4: we are we've been drilling wheat but we are uh going to get uh, we've used rye also and so um now that we're getting a little bit later we're going to switch over to rye because we do notice a pretty big difference in growth between the wheat and the rye i had wheat on hand early so that's what we went with and and uh going to be switching over to rye here this week.
0: Yep, so. gotcha, you bet. Well, hey, Jeff, we really appreciate you calling in today. And want no to problem. wish Yep, want to wish you the best of luck during harvest and stay safe out there.
4: Appreciate it. You Take bet. Take
0: care. Yep, thank you. All right, again, today on the show, we're getting a harvest update. If you would like to call in, we'd love to have you. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Been getting a number of questions in, so we'll get back to the AgPHD mailbag later in the show as well. Stay tuned.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to weed control,
5: our cards have always been on the table. Because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist weed control system. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
2: If you've ever wondered how the farm all got its name, No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards, cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
0: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, getting a harvest update. If you want to call in, the number's 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what Darren did. He's calling from up in North Dakota. Darren, how is harvest going on your farm so far this fall?
6: Um, Well, so far, earlier than normal. Um, We we finished up with soybeans last week, and we're going to start corn tomorrow.
0: Nice. And... For our listeners who aren't familiar with the weather up in North Dakota, it's cold. And so when harvest can start early, I'm assuming you're loving that, correct?
6: Yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of the earliest years we've ever ever been done with soybeans. Usually we're going into, oh, the second week of October almost every year, if not. <laughs> of course, when you look at 18 and 19, we're going into December. So yeah, when we right. finish in September, it's nice.
0: Well, you know the other big thing our dad always talked to us on the farm why we wanted to hustle during harvest so we got everything ready to go for spring because just like you were talking about in 18 and 19 when harvest doesn't finish till December you can't get anything ready for spring and now you're kind of behind the eight ball going into the spring.
6: Absolutely, yeah. We're I'm going to be putting on fertilizer, um, you know, dr- dry fertilizer next week, and then as soon as the Soil temperatures get cool enough, we're going to start in, in hiders because uh, you yep. can save all those trips in the spring.
0: Like you said, we're ahead of the game. Definitely. All right. So the only unfortunate thing, I'm sure harvest went earlier because it was hot and probably fairly dry in your area too. Were yields okay or how'd you it, turn out?
6: It, well, it was a it was a very mixed bag. Um, our, our land, we're, we're in Southeast North Dakota um, out of the Red River Valley mm-hmm. and our, well, we farm from from north to south is about thirty five miles and then on the north side we were in the about thirty one for an average. Yep. Which is about fifteen bushel at least below average. Yep. But then in the middle we were about 40, forty, forty one and then at the very end we were in the low to mid fifties. So that was actually a great crop. <laughs> so so yep. you know, yeah, it's weird. Our our lowest field average was twenty three and our highest was fifty six. So Yeah. Um a a wide wide range and anywhere from as low as single digits on the low end to upper 70s on the high end, so very variable.
0: Yep, that's exactly what I was saying to start the show. I've got the same thing, so do a lot of people in our entire region here in the United States. Just made a lot of difference in rainfall, soil type, planting date, you name it. I mean, lots All of the variability. Above. Yep. So, was yep. there was there anything else that kind of stood out to you? Any treatment uh, like a, let's say it was fungicide or weed control or I mean, was there anything else where you said, "Oh boy, this is really important. I'm glad I saw this and now I'm going to do more of that in the future?"
6: Um, I think the biggest takeaway I saw was that, um, the early planted beans, especially in the good soil really was, they were great. Yeah. And, um, that's something we've really tried to focus on the last couple of years as early planted soybeans. Um, if we, it would have been perfect if we would have early planted a like a 10 maturity instead of an 06 because I think the 06 yep. just died just a little too soon on a couple fields, but on the other ones where we had the rain, they they did really well. Sure. So I think early planted, and then with that we we definitely did a full fungicide insecticide treatment because we were planting into colder conditions in the beginning of May, and and that that helped quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So when you say early plant, what was the earliest date you did plant?
6: The third of May, and it was the soil temperature was about mid to upper 40s and it was about about the same air temperature outside so it it was pretty cool but 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 by the time we finished uh um it was uh i think we finished the 10th of may and it was you know a bit warmer but when we first started it was cool for sure yeah, too may- cool for corn <laughs>
0: well, for us anyway for, yeah. for me how's that I don't know. <laughs> there you go yeah I'll plant corn <laughs> <debate> with, that. <laughs> yeah I'll plant corn when it's that cold too but to your point you know if you're not doing a lot of the extra things like putting fungicide and insecticide on for seed treatment you know it's it, it's hard so we use a bunch of biologicals and everything else to try to yeah. pop that seed out earlier you know I, I do get a charge out of this we work with a lot of people down in the southern United States too and I mean they have so many more so much more time that they can plant, and the soil a lot of times is warmer when they plant, and it's just it, it it's just different. So it is kind yeah, of fun learning is. in all those different environments. But anyway, so anything else uh, going into next year, Darren? Anything you're going to change, or anything you learned this year where you say, "Hey, I want to do more of that next year"?
6: You know, um, so we're in we're in the uh, in the Dowdy Crop Innovations group, and yeah. and seeing our, our our tissue tests for the last two or four years uh, we learned that we have to put a few more m- micronutrients on that what we have been. And we did this year and our tissue tests were good in all those micronutrient levels. And so, um, going forward, we're going to focus in on those a little bit harder and, and apply more of the boron and zinc up front in the cheaper dry form <laughs> rather than the expensive <laughs> liquid form later on. And, uh, and continue to keep those tissue levels up at uh, required uh, limits or required amounts.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't mind liquid fertilizer. In fact, it can be really good when you're using it in the right situation, but if you're really low in the soil, like we were too, I mean, to try to build pounds, it's hard to do that with liquid. So that's where we've run a whole bunch of dry as well. Well, Hey, uh, Darren, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. All right. Uh, I I thought Darren brought up some interesting points there in talking about micronutrients and tissue testing and that kind of thing. And I, I just really want to encourage you when you get to the end of the season here, soil testing is just incredibly important and not only that but how you soil test can make a lot of difference in how you're going to fertilize. So what I mean by that is if let's say you're taking a whole field, you pull some soil cores, mix them all together and you have one sample for the entire field, that's what we would call a composite test and all that's going to do is it's going to tell you the average roughly of your field and the average at least of the soil cores that you pulled. We would not advise you to do that because All that's going to happen is you're now going to under fertilize with every nutrient on half the field and you're going to over fertilize on the other half roughly. So rather than doing that, I'd rather have you sample fewer fields, but use smaller grids or zones And when you do that, now you can really pick out the areas in the fields where you've got ample fertility because in some cases you might have that. I know we've certainly found that on our farm where I go, ooh, fertilizer is expensive. Thank goodness I tested because now I don't have to spend some money in that area. But over in this other area, I do need to invest some dollars there and it should give me a decent return on investment because I just want you to think about it this way. Rather than throwing fertility out there randomly, we as farmers are always smarter when we have some data and we can use that data to make wiser decisions and hopefully improve our return on investment. All right, so jumping back to the Egg PhD mailbag, I got a, a question that kind of ties into that a little bit. This is from Jonathan and/or John, and he says, Hey, I raise shell corn and alfalfa in northern Colorado, and I was gonna start using Midwest Labs for the first time and was wondering which soil sampling package would you recommend? All right, well, John, our recommendation is to use their S3C. Now, we've been using the Malik one, and that's probably what I would do if I was you. That only costs a little over 10 bucks. So it's much cheaper than the regular S3C but uh, because it's the Malik version. But anyway, for any of our listeners, I, I don't care what lab you're using uh, or what their name for a specific sampling package is, but what we want you to do is get soil pH get not just NPNK, but all the secondary and micronutrients, or at least the main micronutrients like zinc, copper, boron, manganese, iron, uh, get a ba- base saturation on there. Sodium is super important. Salts, cation exchange capacity. I mean, all those things are what you need. So regardless of the lab, just make sure you're getting a complete analysis. That's going to help you make a better decision moving forward. Alright, right, next one comes from Adam, who says, I would love to hear your opinion on this topic. I work in the turf industry and loosely follow the grain futures. I've noticed when wheat prices go up, we seem to see grass seed get harder to get in the quantity we need and the prices go up. I'm guessing that the same regions that grow our seed might go to wheat if the prices are better. Yes, Adam, you are correct. When there are other crops that farmers can make money on, then sometimes they will take those acres out of turf production or grass production and they will raise other crops. The other thing is just last week we were talking about this subject and uh, Gary had sent us an email saying the grass seed shortage is real because of dismal yields from Oregon's Willamette Valley uh, Montana and Canada those are largely dry land production areas which were really dry this year and grasses require an, an establishment year prior to the first year of seed production so the catch-up supply usually takes two to three years all right stay tuned we'll get back to your phone calls right after this <music>
3: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
2: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 cornheads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates. And the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. We
1: now bring you an important news bulletin.
6: This just in from live action news.
3: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
0: New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest
2: weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk
0: with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. We're going to jump right back to the phone lines. Got Jacob calling in from down in Arkansas. Jacob, how are things going for you today?
5: Wet. How are y'all?
0: Well, we were wet and not, well, not very wet, but just wet enough to keep us out of the field for a couple days, but we're back in there again now. How's harvest going on your farm, other than wet and delayed?
5: (laughs) Uh, We're done with corn. That was a disappointment, but we talked about that earlier in the season. Uh, Soil beans are... They're okay. They're nothing to write home about. We're going to start picking cotton uh, later on this week, and hopefully that's the, uh, the nice part about finishing the year and seeing good cotton yields.
0: Yeah, yep, yep. So in terms of that cotton, we don't talk cotton much on the show here, but in your sure. area, what leads to better cotton yields?
5: Um, obviously a good start, just like anything else. Um, warm days, cool nights, being able to get started early. Uh, and keeping the bug pressure low as possible, whether that's uh, new varieties that have uh, special genetics in them to take care of thrips and plant bugs, uh, you know, putting it in the right spot, getting your fertility right. Same thing that goes for everywhere else. Just, uh, cotton likes a little bit more heat than uh, other crops that y'all used to like.
0: So talk to us about the fertility needs of cotton. What, how do you usually fertilize your cotton crop?
5: Um, you're looking at a hundred units of potassium as a preplant, just to help keep things going. Um, especially, and if you've got some places that need that potassium a little bit later, you might put on another 50 to a hundred units, um, uh, mid season, just as, as you start going from flowering the bowl stage just to make sure that it's got all the potassium it needs to to support it, and you can tell where you got light potassium spots. Even in a good crop, sometimes it may lay over a little more than others. Uh, which old folks say that was a good thing, but you know it's not as good as you think it is. Yeah, there's a load there, but you still want that crop to stand up, and look good. Yep. Uh, phosphates, they're important. They're not as important, I and mean, then usually between some folks have heard goes down as low as 80 units of nitrogen. Um, we're in the 130 to 140 range. We put out a, a round of liquid and a round of ammonium uh, sulfate and urea you know, before Penn Square.
0: Okay, you brought up something interesting on that potassium deal, doing some pre-plant and some later on. Is your soil light and you get a lot of rainfall, or why the need to put it on two different times?
5: Well, first of all, we're planting in CECs of uh, somewhere between 7 and 12 to 15 you yeah. know if you got a, a, a little bit heavier in you might have a 18 or so CEC. so you're sure. looking at a lighter CEC. and even though we're pushing potassium for rotation between the corn and soybeans you still got to have it out there obviously because like you said you know lighter soils but also you got to irrigate in the mid-south if yeah. you don't irrigate in the mid-south unless you're in one of those special places that doesn't have to have it uh if it ain't raining you're making it rain
0: yeah how about weeds in cotton what do you fight most
5: Pigweeds and grass are our two main uh, problems, and the the good thing about cotton is there's there's uh, you can put Roundup Liberty, which I know Roundup isn't very good on on uh, pigweeds, yeah. or you can put out by or 2,4D depending on which particular uh, variety you're growing. So you've got some oppor- opportunities there to hit them with a one-two or maybe even one-two-three punch if you have to.
0: So we've had a lot of problems in soybean growing areas where the dicamba is moving over and damaging the other soybeans, or at least cupping the leaves. What are you seeing in cotton for the guys, I mean, going back and forth on this dicamba 2,4-D thing, are you seeing a lot of movement from one to the other?
5: We're not. um, Our area does grow a little bit of enlist crop, but our area is mainly focused on growing uh dicamba and extend flex crops. Yep. That's where that's where the group four soybeans seem to have the highest yield potential for our area. Yep. Um and the the main two cotton brands that this area plants it's Roundup Liberty Dicamba. Sure. So there's yep. there's another variety that, that has the two four D trade in it and we have some experimental and then some other varieties they have that look really strong. Uh, I'll be curious to see how well it works. If it's worth uh, implementing a little bit of a of that in some areas, I'm, it's going to complicate our, our situation a little bit because everything around it'll be extend flex and that'll be in this. But you know, just got to manage it out and make it work.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see if there are any new label requirements with Dicamba and that kind of thing as we move forward too. Never. At least it's approved for now. So, yeah, and, and That's going to be the next problem. <laughs> right. So what do you do pre-emerge on cotton? Are you putting out some pre's then?
5: We are. Um, we put out some uh, Cotteran and Capron in places this year, yep. and in certain places we put out uh, Cotteran and Brake, which for the for the cotton growing folks that listen to you, Break is like the old Um, uh, It's a bleacher.
0: Yep.
5: And it's a good broadleaf. Uh, situation, a good broadleaf herbicide. It's not very good on grass. We had so-so results overall with a pre this year. Just when we got to planting cotton, it got a little dry, and we yep. didn't get good activation like we needed. Um, so I'm not going to say that the pre was a total waste of money. But it wasn't very long after that we were having to go out and, and take care of some Bermuda grass that was showing up um, and, and get it keeled down and get that kind of leading and cotton and, and true lead cotton a good start. You know, it's like anything else. It's got to start good.
0: Yeah. So if it is dry, can you irrigate or are we talking flood irrigation here?
5: Uh, well, everybody around here, there's a few pivots sitting around, but everybody would it'd be some flood irrigation. Ridge yeah. That.
0: Yep. yep. Whatever you want to call it.
5: I'm not going to say it's not impossible. It's just probably not something you want to do to cotton because young cotton, cotton comes up looking for a reason to die, but (laughs) you add that to it, it don't help the situation. I know my great-grandfather and grandfather killed me for that, but
0: (laughs) it is what it is. Yep. Yeah, it's always challenging farming. Hey, Jacob, we want to thank you a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. And we want to wish you the best here as harvest goes along. Good luck down there and stay safe.
5: If you don't mind, I got a question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Have you ever done anything with pelletized lime versus regular ag lime?
0: With what kind regardless, of lime? Whether it's dolomitic, oh, dolomitic? Lime.
5: Rather, it's, regardless of, of the ag lime, whether it's dolomitic or calcitic, have you ever done anything with pelletized lime versus regular ag lime?
0: Yeah, of course. Yep, we we we're doing a little bit even this fall right now on our farm, so we're uh, so what what what's your question exactly? You just want to know what's what's best for your situation or what?
5: Well, we're using pelletized lime because it's a lot easier to get here than ag lime is. Yep, um, we're using between two and three hundred pounds of the acre, and we mm-hmm. just committed to trying to do it every year. And Obviously, you can get a whole, across a whole lot more acres of pelletized lime as opposed to ag lime because. Mm-hmm. Best of all, you can put it out with a regular spreader, all that kind of stuff. Right, but yep. What, what I'm concerned about, uh, and this is only the second to do it, is is it, a, is it a Band-Aid or are we truly solving our problems?
0: Yeah, it's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid. It's going to be available pretty quickly. It's easy to spread. Um, but keep in mind... <sighs> it's possible that regular ag lime could be a band-aid as well you always have to evaluate why is the soil pH going lower so for many years it was really nitrogen because we didn't weren't, weren't able to do variable rate like we can now and so yep. so there are there are things like that that hopefully for most guys we have solved so we shouldn't be driving the pH as low in certain areas of the fields like we used to but yeah I I, I just look at it as at pelletized as kind of a one-year deal it is a band-aid it's more expensive but by the same token if you only need it in certain areas and uh, um, you you want to spread it yourself and things like that Mm -hmm. it, it, it 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 does make sense in a lot of places but yeah, I, yeah, ultimately, like for us, I'll I'll just tell you what we do. If we've got some, let's say it's some new ground we pick up, and I see the pH is in the fours, which we find time mm-hmm. to time, I want water treatment lime, and I'm going to put on a whole slug of that. I mean, as as much as I can get by with, uh, we usually will say 2,400 pounds of actual calcium, not lime, but actual calcium. That's what we're. That's kind of our limit for the most we'll ever put on. But anyway, we like this water treatment lime because we can get it for free. It also contains a whole bunch of other nutrients. We also have a lot of guys up north uh, where when they get into sugar beet country, they'll use sugar beet lime, kind of the same deal. They can get the product for very little money, contains lots of other nutrients, and works well. So otherwise, calcitic lime is, yeah, more if we're uh, already in good shape on magnesium. But down in your area in those light soils, sometimes we need the dolomitic to get more magnesium. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down, non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
0: going to jump right back into the Ag PhD Mailbag here on Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton Studio. Our next question comes from Jeff, who says, Hi, guys. I love your shows. I wish the TV show was on five nights a week. Then there would be something good on every night. Well, thanks, Jeff. We appreciate that. He says, I am a beginning farmer here in Michigan, and I was wondering if I could get a little help. Um, I'm looking at soil tests, so I've sent you a copy of a soil test that I've got. Anyway, it says... K2O potash on my recommendations. So by that, are they talking about potash or are they talking about uh, the actual element? So look, every lab is going to be a little bit different. And so for any of our listeners, I'm always going to encourage you, talk to your lab and find out what your recommendation was in, because I don't know. When they say potash, then that can be a little confusing because it says K2O potash. So like on our Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, for example, it says K2O potassium. So that's not quite as misleading because to me potash is the fertilizer, potassium is the actual nutrient. So anyway, I, I, I mean, when I take a look at this, am I assuming where it says 140 or 150 pounds of K2O potash Am I assuming that that is the actual potash? I think what they mean here is they're talking about the nutrient K2O potassium. So potash, for example, is 60% K2O potassium. So if it's me, I'm probably calling just to double check, but my assumption here is you're probably, you're, you're going to have to get 140 or 150 pounds, you're going to have to put on something like 250 pounds of actual potash to get K2O potassium in that amount. Uh, It's the same thing with the phosphate that they've got here. It says p two O five phosphate 90 or 80. So to get that, then you're going to be putting on roughly, let's call it, 160, 180 pounds of like MAP or DAP roughly. Okay, uh, next question that he has here is he says his elevator has a starter fertilizer that is 3,834. Am I better off just using that and how much? Look, I, I, let me let me say this. For starter fertilizer, when we start talking about that, I look at that as starter and that's it. So that doesn't mean everything you need. That just means to get the plant started. So we, you're not going to be able to put that much salt out there in a starter to take care of everything. So I would, if it was me, look at, maybe using some of that and then supplementing my needs otherwise and you can certainly talk to your fertilizer dealer or agronomist and they can uh, help you run the math here but it's 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 just it's basically a math problem. So thankfully, I took lots of years of math when I was in school. So I, I can run some of these equations. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's not like super difficult. But just uh, just talk to your dealer because you might want to do some kind of a uh, little bit of the, the starter and then use some other stuff as well, like in a broadcast or like a deep band, for example. Okay, also, he was thinking about putting on some gypsum, and he says here, I think I've heard Brian say before he doesn't care about the pH as long as the calcium is low, he would apply lime. If so, what product should I use, like gypsum or lime, or what should I do? Uh, anyway, he says to conclude here, keep on teaching, and I'll keep on learning. All right, well, anyway, thanks again for the question, Jeff. I have in the past said, yes, if you're short on calcium, you certainly can go out there and put lime on or gypsum or any source of calcium. But the problem is with the lime, you're already at 6.4 pH, which is perfect for corn and soybeans, wheat. Um, and the crops we would typically be talking about in your area so I don't want to raise the pH so if you put lime on to raise your calcium level then you're going to have to put some elemental sulfur on to drive the pH back down to offset the effect of the calcium so would I do that probably not here's the other thing Unfortunately, Jeff, you are low, when I look at this soil test, on almost every nutrient there is. So let me just rank the nutrients in order, like for your soil test and how I would do this. I'd put on nitrogen first, then potassium, because you're only 2% base saturation K, and you have lighter soil, 13.7 cation exchange capacity. And then I would say phosphorus is third, because you actually have 16 parts per million on a P1 weak Bray phosphorus test. But anyway, after that, I'd look at sulfur, then zinc, then boron. Maybe manganese. I might run a malik three test rather than the DTPA. The DTPA we don't find is very accurate on the manganese test. And then copper. And then I'd look at raising your calcium level because you're already at 60% calcium. You're and and you're at 28% magnesium. Yes, the magnesium's a little higher than we'd like to see, but if you did all these other fertilizer fertilizer things, then the magnesium is probably going to start going down anyway. So I don't think, well, if you've got enough money to go through all the other nutrients first and you still have money left over and you want to put a little bit of gypsum on, fine. Put a little bit of gypsum on, but I wouldn't get carried away. And that's, again, my last priority. Okay. Okay. Uh, next one comes in from Terry. He says, hi, my agronomist feels it is best yet to soil test closer to freeze up. What's your feeling? Well, Terry, I don't know where you're from exactly, but... Yes, we want to wait until we get relatively close to freeze up. But by the same token, we got to get the job done for soil testing and we got to get fertilizer applied. So, like for us, we pulled a lot of soil tests here in the last 2 or 3 weeks and I don't have a big issue with that. I mean, we our ground completely freezes up usually the first of December, but the soil temps are already getting pretty cool. Is there going to be a lot of change, let's say between September 20th and October 20th in our area, it's possible you might get a few more pounds of phosphate, sulfur, and nitrogen out of organic matter breakdown, but there really isn't going to be much change out there at all. So if the crop's off, I'm probably soil testing right away, as long as it's fall and as long as it's relatively close to when freeze-up is going to occur, at least when those soil temps are getting lower. All right, next one is from Robert. He was commenting on some stuff we did on talking about building soil organic matter. And so his his comments here, first of all, is he says, building and replacing humus is what's critical. And yes, humus and organic matter, a lot of times are we're talking about the same basic principle. Uh, the organic matter... Well, anyway, his question here is, what about vertical tillage and not really disturbing the old roots? So the comment that we often make when it comes to organic matter is, you build it faster by leaving roots intact. The less tillage you do, the faster you build soil organic matter. So vertical tillage certainly is a lot less tillage than mow board plowing. So yes, it's going to help you in, in that respect, but is... Vertical tillage going to be as good as no-till? No, it's not. So it's all relative here. I'm just saying the less tillage you can do, and the more you can leave those roots intact, the faster you're going to build your your soils organic matter. All right, uh, next one is from Alejandro, talking about cation exchange capacity. He says. Um, If I was to expect, say, 400 bushel corn, uh, what's my multiplier that I'm going to use for 400 bushel corn? Okay, so I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about here, Alejandro, but I'll bring up a couple of things. What cation exchange capacity is, that's the holding capacity of your soil. We commonly will say you can use a factor of 10 times your CEC, or cation exchange capacity, and that will tell you roughly, not exact, but roughly how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time. So I'm guessing that's probably what we're talking about here. 400 bushel corn is going to need roughly 400, 450 pounds of total nitrogen. But keep in mind, you're going to have some carryover nitrogen. Your soil is going to release nitrogen through the process of organic matter mineralization. And then all the different fertilizers you apply could possibly contain some degree of nitrogen. So there are a lot of ways to get that on, but, Yes. I mean, if let's say you said, all right, well, I only have 50 pounds there. I got another 100 pounds coming out of the soil. So I got to apply like 250, 300 pounds. Can I do that all in one shot? You got to look at your cation exchange capacity. And yeah, when we're talking 400 bushel corn, most of the people that are raising 300, 400 plus bushel corn, they are applying nitrogen many times because the soil just simply can't hold it all in one shot. Right, and the last one we'll get to for, for today is from Chad in Minnesota. He says, I watch your show on RFD-TV, and on today's show, you mentioned that you give out some scholarships. Uh, I, I went to your website, but I couldn't find out any information about them or how a person applies. Uh, well, Chad, the only time we are giving out scholarships is when we do a collegiate uh, Ag PhD workshop. And we've been doing one of those a year for the last several years, and we've given away a lot of scholarships at that event. So the point is we want people learning, not just getting money, but actually learning some of the agronomy things that we're teaching. So that's when we do that then. And we've got another one coming up next summer. So there will be more information on our website uh, coming fairly soon. All right, well, before we go, I just want to say thanks to my sister, Janelle. She was running the controls, and thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more AGPHD Radio.